saw this movie in the theater, too. Now, which one is this? Just do the right thing. Welcome to the show, by the way. We're here. It sounds a little raggedier. We're not using microphones because I fucked up. No, you're if, fine. Isn't it weirder, though, that we're just, like, talking in the room? Yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah. more official with the microphones. Yeah, it like, is, You feel yeah. like we started the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and now we're just kind of talking near a computer. Okay, I have to get this off my chest when we start right away. Okay, Keith, I want to make sure I declare this. As I have declared in the previous five podcasts, what what am I not, Keith? I am not what? I'm so glad I'm you're not, not a pedophile. pedophile. Exactly. Oh, we got a lot to talk about as far as that goes. Ooh, yeah, oh, he's yeah. using ice? Yeah, yeah. On yeah. a kneecap? How's yeah, yeah. that hot? What, well, this is... See, here, 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 I don't know, Mookie. It's too hot outside. <laughs> wait, 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 she's not a more Italian there than Puerto Rican. Oh, those go. are not her boobs. That's know, a body man. double. You think so? If they don't show her face, it's not her. It's a body double. Yeah. I've kind of learned that. We could learn that. Around. You learn things like that. You so, learn that. So that's one of the options is do the right it's one thing. one of the options. Summer of 1989. Apollo. years ago. 13. Is also on. Uh, this is the, uh, but it's just kind of at the beginning or at the end. I, I was a big fan of Breakfast at Tiffany's. Contains one of the most racist characters in the history of films. Oh, oh my. Uh, Miss Go Right Read. <laughs> Andy Rooney. Andy Rooney. Oh. I mean, it is so. It's. Like, you might as well just pull back your eyes and go, oh! <laughs> like, it's the most racist fucking thing ever. I, I, absolutely. It, it, it's beyond, I mean, it's beyond, I know. The fact that it's Mickey Rooney, dude, that was the whole, like, the I World love War said II Andy was Rooney. still like, what well, is Mickey Rooney? I know, but we said Andy Rooney. You said Andy Rooney? Yeah. Well, Andy Rooney, yeah, it's kind of, they're, they're, they're brothers, you know? They both have strange voices. <laughs> Are they brothers? No, not at all. They're both, except for like curmudgeon, you know? You said people think I'm a curmudgeon. Andy Rooney was a curmudgeon. Yeah, well, and Andy you Rooney know? was kind of the classic, like, people, that was kind of like a hack joke. Or, like, when people would do their Andy Rooney impression. Of just like, oh, yeah. I was in the grocery store and I passed the pears. A lot of comedy store comics in the late 70s, early 80s. We're doing Andy Rooney, that and Howard Cosell impressions. Oh, dude, Cosell was the, and then if Miami might have the oranges, but Buffalo's got the juice. O.J. Simpson. And flash. to do Andy Rooney at some point, you have to be racist. Or uh, to do a <laughs> Cosell. Yeah, well, what, at some that? point, because he did the whole look at that monkey run. Oh, yeah, Charlie Brown. I remember watching that game live. That was a, a Cowboy Redskin Monday Night Football game, I think in 83. You know, and, and watch. Is that John Turturro? Yeah, it is. Look how young he was. Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, he's playing. He's gonna work him over now. Those, those, those shorts. I owned a pair of shorts like that. Oh, this is caked with resin, dude. Why wow. a lot? Exactly. Keep, keep going. So bro. right now, John Turturro. There's everyone is so sweaty in this movie. Is that the whole premise? Well, that yeah, it's, hot? it's the hottest day of the summer in New York City, and and, and that's. It's like a character in the movie that drives people to what they do. It's like the island and Lost. That's what they said. They wanted the island to be a character, man. So this movie came out 30 years ago? Do you know how fucking old I feel when I say that? Well, because you were like a full-on... Like, like you thought you were an adult when this movie came out. Oh, absolutely. I was 20, you know? And it was just like... And that was the summer I worked at Common Cause which was an organization dedicated to uh, trying to get money out of politics. How successful was that? 
How successful is that cause? You know, getting, you know, getting speech honorarium fees, and uh, uh, that was a big thing we were trying to kind of bring down. You know, it was a public interest group. I worked with all these kids from across the country. It was a very confidence-building summer for me. Also, the summer that the Oakland A's won, the 89 A's, won the World Series that year. Big year. Big year for me. Well, Big and, year for me. Well, how – Plus, did you, I lost my virginity later that year. Oh, yeah, there we go. This is after the finger bang anniversary. <laughs> this is true. Which we've brought up on this podcast. Which, which by the way – which, by the way – Will be coming up. Uh, will be coming up in the next. Do you two weeks. actively celebrate it? It, it? it is. Well, I'm gonna put it up on Facebook. It's just man. like a mark, a marked day in your brain. It, it's a threshold, man. It, it'll be. It's August 27th, 1984. It's the 35 year anniversary coming up in about two weeks. Yeah. So while we watch TV, four people get the premise of this podcast. Always is is me and Crocious are active TV watchers. We call active TV watchers. We some of our, we found that like I would come over to hang out at his house and we would just watch TV. And good conversations with Springboard. I, I thought yeah, that's how you should watch television. Yeah, you know, you can't just put the, put your Delta brainwaves let take over your brain. You have to interact with it. This was it's Giancarlo Esposito on the right there. This was the clothing. oh what a plug for Public Enemy. Oh, absolutely, this was man. I was a Public Enemy. I saw Public Enemy in concert. You don't like Public Enemy, man? They are a new group from the nineties. <laughs> From the 80s, dude. Late this, 80s. Well, what year was this? 89. This is 89. 89. But that t-shirt, the, the clothing, I swear to God, I dressed like that. Even this movie has, a lot of those movies from the late 80s, early 90s, they, they framed the upcoming 90s as this post-apocalyptic time almost. Of like, like, look at their, they're leaning up against they clearly decrepit fucking building. Yes, yes. Like, I feel like there was this bleakness to the 90s. Well, it was because that. Because yeah. the 80s were so terrible, so they are probably like, well, the world is ending. In the yeah, 90s. yeah. Well, the album New York came out in 1989, which was a complete indictment of the state of New York City at the time. It's amazing when I think of New York City now and what it was like when I was a kid in the 70s and the 80s, how much money there is now. It's, I mean, it's one of the wealthiest places on the planet, you know, so it's like, but yet then it was, it was really, str- I mean, there was still money there, obviously. But oh, look, they, they got a Jesse poster for Jesse Jackson running for president. The background. So, uh, so yeah. they're in Jaime Town. No, no, no. They're That's in Bedford Star. Bed Stuy. Yeah, Jaime Town. Yeah, I remember that being said. You know, Jesse Jackson. Was that a big deal when, it, when yes. he said it? Yeah, that was very much a deemed a racist statement from Jesse Jackson. I saw Louis Farrakhan speak in college, and he specifically talked about that. You know, because I think Louis Farrakhan kind of defended Jesse Jackson on that. And Louis Farrakhan obviously is accused of being anti-Semitic, you know. Oh, yeah. You know, so he was like, no. I, and he broke the sentence structure down. The antecedent follows the adverb. <laughs> like, he went through the sentence. Like, I know what I said. He got a standing ovation. I, I saw I saw him speak. He spoke for four hours, you know, uh, Louis Farrakhan. Wasn't he a Malcolm X disciple? Well, he's in the Nation of Islam. He was the head of the Nation of Islam. I thought Elijah is. Muhammad was the head of the well, Nation well, of I mean, Islam. Well, I mean, the, the original, sort of, whatever, this is my, let me white-splain this as if I know. There probably was someone before Elijah Muhammad. It was Marcus Garvey. Who knows? No, Elijah Muhammad, I believe, was, was like the true creator of... See, what a whole, star-studded movie. Look at that. Spike Martin Lee, Lawrence? Martin Lawrence, uh, Rosie Perez, you have John Turturro. That guy's a character actor. Danny Aiello. 
Jesus and everything. You see, if they wouldn't have let them in, if they wouldn't have let them in the entire this entire important scene. That color, those color schemes, I'm telling you, I still wear that and think it's fashionable. I think of when I see those like bright orange and yellows and like the very African style garb. Yeah, yeah. I think of a different world. The Cosby oh, yeah. off. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That was very much the fashion of yeah. the era. Yeah. You see, this is this, Can you this turn is it down a little bit. Yeah, it's just a common scene, man. Radio Rahim's coming because they, they're going to protest Sal. What a name. Sal's Danny Aiello? Yeah. What is he, racist? Well, he, he, he owns a pizzeria in a black neighborhood. He's actually, he's actually you know, he's, he's just Italian. That's all he is. <laughs> he speaks his mind, you know? I love Bed-Stuy is, like, totally a fucking gentrified oh. wasteland. Oh, oh, I mean, yeah, I mean, back then it was just... I mean, this is where Tyson was from and stuff. You know, yeah. Side. Oh, yeah. When you're, you have nothing, it's you and pigeons on a roof. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of yelling. Oh, yeah. And they really went to town. They spent, most of the money on this scene was spent on that pizza oven. That's behind Danny. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was the same one used when they shoved the mail carrier's head in it in Goodfellas. Probably the same one, you know? Yeah. I love how they're just like, quit playing this rap song and we can talk like gentlemen. Yeah, yeah, but he's playing it too loud. See, he doesn't have oh, any wow. black folks on the wall. He has just Italian actors and stuff. Right. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Hard yeah. N-word. Yeah, absolutely. I wonder how he felt as an actor. I wonder if there's like a moment where he's, he's like, where he has yeah, to go yeah. around and be like, guys... I apologize yeah. for what I'm about to say. He's a big Republican. Oh, yeah. And he's a Trumper. Yeah, well, it probably is. I mean, yeah. So here he goes. Here he is. He said it again. Oh, he's going for the boombox. Yeah. With a baseball bat. He just destroys it. Man, if this were today, they would all have guns. Well, they had guns back then, too. <laughs> they. Who's they? Who's they, Keith? When you say they. People. Exactly. Just okay. <laughs> Talk about people. People. <laughs> I like it. John Turturro probably legit has a gun. This is this is a rough moment. This is a that guy moment. I've seen in movies before. I love how it's the moment. Like this is the moment of. Sound. I used to play basketball at the Y when I when I first lived here in LA, and that guy was, had a, uh, was always in the in the gym playing really? basketball. The guy was like the I can't think of. He's been a, he was in Platoon. He gets blown up in Platoon. Oh, I know what you're talking about. He's just like, you fucking broke my yeah. boombox, yeah. dude. Uh oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Are they about to kill Danny Aiello? Well, no, you'll see. You'll see what happens. Is that. There's a picture of it was, uh, Rocky Marciano and Jersey Joe Walcott. Oh, man. Yeah. Rosie Perez looks like she's. Well, that's about not Rosie to... Perez. I think he's probably auditioned for the same thing. Yeah. She looks like she's about to go rollerblading. <laughs> she has like those she hat walk, man. Yeah. <laughs> Listen to grooves in the heart. Delight. Fashion was awful in the 80s. I think, you know, I'll, be, I'll defend this look. This was like cutting edge. Potential. They all look like they're about to go on vacation. Well, yeah, it's a summer. Summer look. You see, now, now the, the fight spills up the street. I wonder if... During the summer, You'll someone bought their first real six string. Yeah. <laughs> There's summer of 69, not 89. Yeah. Yeah, I was working in uh, Washington, D.C. for Common Cause. Uh, in, I uh, bought my first real guitar. 
In the summer of eight. Oh, now we got the old school guy. Wait, 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 that's Ozzy Diggs. No. Is he still alive? Is Ozzy Diggs still alive? I think so. Let's look that up. He's gotta be ancient, though, man. If he is, he's gotta be like in his 90s, man. See, the man gets involved. Now it's Pepton Stock. Look at those brownstones. You can tell me, there were real estate speculators who were like, oh, this is good housing stock. Get some investors. He died in 05. He died in 05? Yeah. How old was he? Oh, wow. Uh, 87. Yeah. Well, he, uh, you know, whatever. He eulogized Malcolm X. He's a civil rights activist. Absolutely. See, who do you think gets killed here? Who do you think gets killed? Some black dudes? Ooh, what do you think? They're about to kill all these black people. Well, it's Radio Rahim gets it. They, they, they arrest Giancarlo. That's what you go. So this is one of those things that just ends kind of auspiciously? Yeah, yeah, you'll see. Oh, it, it, this was like this was not nominated for like, you know, this was in Hollywood had no black filmmakers, man. And this was not, this was a not nominated picture. Anyway. These are all the characters coming back. Can you see this? And the cops, you know, the man. The CM Punk looking motherfucker is crying. Oh, there, Eric. Whatever. He can't breathe. What do you think? What do you think's happening? Look at his feet now. Oh wow. Oh, he's, yeah, they got the, what a weird, that's kind of cheesy. What? Where, like, they have his feet wiggling and then it stops. Yeah. You could tell they didn't want to show graphic violence. If this movie came out today, they would show him being beaten to a pulp. Yeah, yeah. Like, I but they, they needed the feet wiggling and the stop to illustrate that they actually killed him. You know, absolutely. Well, it's also, a, I think it's a metaphor for lynching. You know, yeah. hanging someone up, stringing someone up, you know? Man. This ended wild. Absolutely. Come on, kid. Yeah. I love how they're continuing to arrest him. Yeah. They're his arresting corpse. his corpse. <laughs> arresting his, <laughs> his dead body. There you go. Oh, yeah. It's it's like Sal and Vito and Rocco. You know, <laughs> yeah. All the cops. Oh, these, these cops are white. Oh, yeah. These are white cops. Being a New York City cop, just being a big city cop in general... Oof, it can't job, be man. the easiest job. No, I mean whatever. I, I'm not going to defend but, the police. Like Bill Maher said a long time ago, cops try and explain like, "Oh, you don't know how it is," and he's like, "You're right, I don't." But I didn't choose that job. Yeah, yeah, no, it's like, true. Like if I chose to be a cop, I'd probably think there's some danger that goes along with it. Yeah, that's why they give you a gun. Yeah, because yeah. it's fucking and you dangerous. You have lethal state power. Yeah, I have a good friend who's a civil rights attorney. Done a lot of police misconduct cases. He says it's very very difficult to pin a crime on a cop. Very difficult. I mean, the system is very slanted, very much in terms of like their favor, you know? Well, and even if you could get them pinned, the odds that they're going to be fired are very low. Well, I mean, he's at, I mean, I can tell you what, he, they sued, he sued the, this friend of mine. They, see, there's the Puerto Rican guy. I love the classic, like, panning and everyone says they're yeah, one yeah, by one, exactly. their thing. There we go. That old black man. This guy's been in everything. He was in Escape from Alcatraz. He was a Clint Eastwood's buddy in Escape from Alcatraz. He did like Listen. a he did like a Florida Evans thing right there. Damn, damn. <laughs> remember that episode? Oh, oh when yeah. old boy dies, when the husband dies. Oh, absolutely. Oh, I remember the end of that. That that episode of Good Times and the episode where Penny Janet Jackson is abused have a real impact. Also, the episode of Good Times where Lionel's or what uh, Jimmy Walker has the heroin addict girlfriend. 
Oh, and wow. she goes in the she's shooting up in the bathroom, and he like goes to the bathroom door, and he has to like break up with her. Whoa. And I think she might OD in the episode, but like yeah, yeah, classic good, yeah, good time. Good time. Someone's dying. That takes place in Chicago, right? Absolutely, it's Cabrini. He's Cabrini Green, which doesn't exist anymore. Well, and it's isn't that a crazy? It's located that? in the nicest, one of the nicest neighborhoods in Chicago. Do you know how crazy it is that that neighborhood used to be? It's terrible. Oh, and before that, it was always very a very poor working class neighborhood. There was like a lot of manufacturing around there that slowly went belly up, you know. So yeah, now, now, now the now the riot starts, you know, you know. So yeah, it's it's getting deep now. Iello's just like, look, man, I just I just crushed a boombox. He, he's been he's had a pizzeria for twenty five years there too. You know, it's like his business. So now Spike Lee's gonna make a decision. Oh, because he works at the pizzeria. Do I talk smack to Reggie Miller, or do I throw yeah. a garbage can through the window and set it on fire? What are my options? Is Reggie Miller in the movie? No, no. I'm saying I think of him. I think of mid '90s Spike Lee. This is the movie that made the Spike choke. Lee a star. Yeah. Is this before he directed any movies? Oh, this he directed this one. Oh, he directed he, this one. I mean, it's like his real breakthrough. School Days was his first movie. Uh, uh she's got to have it. Okay. She's got to have it, and then, and then School Days, and then this. School days, as far as I understand the hip guy, I never saw school days. I could be wrong on this. Please, someone correct me if I'm wrong. But I believe public enemy t-shirt. I used to have a public enemy t-shirt. I played basketball at the New City Y next to Cabrini in a public enemy t-shirt wearing my original Dude, Michael Jordan tennis shoes. You're probably so fucking hip. The, the, they, the people, they, they were the like, me. They, Brocious they, gets it. They were just like, who's this one? Look at white boy. Like, I got made fun of. Calling so, like, Larry Bird and but shit. At the same time, at the same time. I made a few baskets here and there. I held my own. Yeah. I didn't embarrass. I'm six foot four, left-handed, white. So how was your trip to Chicago? Crocious went back to Chicago. Did people think? Is it true that there's a little bit of a more shine on you as a comic when you come back to Chicago? I've know. heard Dave Helm told me that when you move to LA and move back to Chicago, that like when you move back, you get stage time just based on the fact that you're in LA. Well, I got up at a couple places. What places I typically got up in the past? I got Curtis was cool enough to put me up for just a short set on Saturday. They were going to give me another set too, but I they gave me free booze all night, and I was guys in hammered. three and a half minutes. They have gutted this fucking pizza place. Yeah, yeah, burning it down. All the pictures. Of Frank, the picture Sinatra. Of Frank Sinatra burning down. And, that know, really is an Sinatra Italian Bowl. restaurant trope. Of having pictures of all the celebrities. Of they got to make a choice, man. Uh, is the picture of Sinatra above or below the Pope? It, there's basically a pyramid. The base is like Sophia Loren, Joe DiMaggio, you know, a Travolta. Build, that's the, and you build up, and the pinnacle picture is the Pope next to next to a Sinatra. It's going to be above it or below it. That, that's the option. That's the, oh, look, now this Asian guy's getting involved. Of like, get the fuck away from my mark. Yeah, yeah, he's a grocer. I feel like even though this movie's woke, they would a lot of people would have problems with these racial tropes in this. Well, why? Like that's a I, very I don't get that. The, the, there are certain racial stereotypes, you know. That's that, what I'm saying. That, that sort of exists. but the idea that that guy is like, no, you'll get that way from like he's yeah. very Asian. Well, yeah, because he just came off the boat. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? He's just, like he's that's what I'm saying now. Yeah. When there's race, when there's race in movies, it's not like fresh off the boat like that. If this movie were made today, that would just be an Asian guy who talks like we do. Yeah, yeah. Well, you but, know what I mean? But, but how realistic would that be if he's like a grocer? Yeah. It's his first gig, you know what I mean? There's like the – I mean 
Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I like to hear your perspective. Like that you know, one thing I thought was very interesting about your perspective, dude. You talked about Top Gun. You were saying, like, you know, Top Gun. I didn't get it. There was no war, and I'm like, you're that, that's you're totally right. Yeah. And I get like from the perspective you're coming from, where every damn movie has a climactic battle scene, and there there was a battle scene, but it was like a small it's little a, skirmish. Well, and it's like an exercise know? almost. Oh yeah, yeah. Although at the end they do shoot down two MIGs, but it's two MIGs. You know what I mean? It's not like because honestly, that's all they could kind of get away with back then. Like it wasn't, you know, it, it, on that movie. I'm convinced, Top Gun. I'm convinced that was a pivot point, right? The real patriotism. Well, was and I think that again. was when it's kind of when everyone was like, "Well, we can't. Vietnam's over. We don't want to do another war movie. Like, let's do a military movie, but not like in Vietnam or anything." Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely, I think I think it's a good observation. But you know, there wasn't it wasn't like we're gonna have a climactic scene. Now here's the hoses that come out. Man. Oh wow! You know, now it's getting racial. Yep. Is that Gary Busey? <laughs> I love. What's hilarious to me is the fire department came and hooked up their hoses, not to extinguish the building that's on fire, <laughs> but to shoot them at black people. <laughs> Well, that's certainly part of it. And there's like every now and again, they'll take it away from the black person to hose off the fire. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty hilarious. Is that Samuel L.? Yes. So this is after coming to America, because wasn't that his first movie? Uh, oh, no, no. Dude, he was in the movie Ragtime in 1981. Really? Bit part rag- Ragtime's a pretty good movie. Because I've always heard that coming to America is like his first like, Well, I think it gets more notice. Yeah, yeah. I think it's you know what was his more. legit breakthrough? Jurassic Park. Yeah. Even before Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I like Jurassic Park was his big, like, oh, well, shit. Well, he was also in Jungle. Jungle Fever was the movie that was after this, which was like a black man, Wesley Snipes, falls in love with uh, or Annabelle. Again, another title that just. Jungle Fever? Would not fly. Today? You just wouldn't fly. Saying you have Jungle Fever is well, why, why the concept because, because you're fetishizing a race. You, you Nowadays, Adam, you have to like somebody for who they are on the inside. Well, I like them for who they are on the inside, too, and the outside. Like, the I know, like Rebecca too. O'Neill said, like, she doesn't, it's, she was like, it's a turnoff to say that you're into black girls. She was like, that's fetishizing my race. Oh, God. Like, you should like me because I'm Rebecca O'Neill and not because yeah, you like black girls. Th- th- that, that's a great thing, and I yeah. hear what she's saying, and she's ultimately right, okay? She is right. The fact is, the human heart has certain things they like, mm-hmm. okay? Certainly. Talk to Robert De Niro about that, okay? Well, cause, oh, he loves black women. Of course. Well, because that's what I told Alicia. I was like, you know, I was like, I came up in a time where it was woke to say that you were into black chicks. Well, yeah. Like, that was a progressive thing. Yeah, because you, you weren't some racist. Was I was like, like, now it's bad. Now it's borderline racist to you, say, like, I'm into black chicks. Do you know how – I'll never forget this. When I was younger, this happened all the time. I'd be watching a sporting event you know, with some friends. And white women particularly would say that they, you know, some he's good looking for a black guy. Mm-hmm. You know, you that qualifying prepositional phrase for a black woman, for a black. Well, and because and that's that's, that's the kind of thing where it's like, obviously, I wouldn't normally be into this. Well, yeah, exactly. Like that's the I mean, yeah, that's yeah. The, or like, to a black people are like unattractive or something. You know what I mean? It's like aren't aren't appealing. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just wonder how someone like Jordan Peele would remake this movie. Do the right thing. Yeah. Yes. Maybe he'd, do, he'd, put he'd, me, do he'd the, remember me liking my act 20 years ago. He'd do the right thing. I could see it now, though. Like, do the right thing does all the wrong things. Yeah, yeah. Race. Well, like, that's what someone like, would say. I, I, I guess the thing with, listen, 
Racism obviously exists. It's not some made-up fictitious thing. We got a president that proves it's that. It's a construct. You know? it, it, it's the way that it's sort of handled now. It's like you like me for who I am, not because you know fetishizing. I get it. I get it. They're kind of eroticizing it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. like it's just listen. All I know is you know I dated some black women and I liked them. I thought they were great. So there we go. So there we go. So the, 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 there's my two cents worth. Yeah. The great <laughs> It's rain. over. Do the right thing is over now. Fistful so. of dollars and it's not known sequel. A few more dollars. A few, <laughs> serious? A, a few dollars more? A few dollars more. That's Live what, free or die hard. That one actually, that's not terrible. You know that wasn't supposed to be a die hard movie? Really? So Live Free or Die Hard was just a movie about a hacker and then it be it got to where they were like, let's just make you John McClane, and this is another Die Hard movie. So you, we'll just throw, we'll throw it to Willis. We'll change your name. 15 or 20 million well, bucks. no, it was always going to be Bruce Willis, but he was supposed to be a different character. Oh, like It was going to be a standalone movie about a cop chasing a hacker. Oh. And then they quickly realized, like, people are going to people are gonna compare this to Die Hard, so they're like, let's just make this a Die Hard movie. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That, 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 that makes sense, man. Yeah. Kind of interesting that they'll just make a choice like and that. And that's like know? halfway through filming. Like halfway through filming, they were like, let's just make this a Die Hard movie. That's hilarious. Yeah. They, 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 they basically made that. They must have been like, okay, the dailies have been sent out. We're getting kind of a lukewarm reception. Okay, let's just make it a sequel. Yeah. Well, and that's the smart move to like, let's call it Die Hard. Yeah, let's call and, it Die Hard. And people, I went to see it in theaters because oh, of I that. Oh, I saw it in the theater. Absolutely. I saw this it was the a big deal when that happened because – I remember Die Hard Three being a real big movie. Was it was Die this Hard with Avengers? Yes, yeah, I remember seeing that in '95, summer of '95. Yeah. Was it literally 12 years in between movies? Yep. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're now going to shift gears here. Tombstone, baby. Tombstone is starting. You know what I like about Die Hard Three is, I think I think this is true. The guy who does Samuel Jackson's in that. And also, the Mr. Feeney from Boy Meets World is the dude on the phone. Oh, yeah. The, the voice of Kit from yeah. Knight Rider. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. He was also in, uh, in the St. Elsewhere. He was Dr. Yep. Uh, Mark Shields or Mark... No, show that famously Shields. ended with it being in the head of a special needs boy. They were, oh. they were inside of a snow globe. The last episode, the yeah. final scene, their world just starts shaking. It's like an earthquake, and then they cut to a little autistic boy staring at a snow globe, and they're like, he just loves staring at that snow globe. So, like, the whole show was the imaginings of an autistic boy. Well, because that autistic kid, that was a character in the in the movie. Was it? Yes. but Or in the show, I should say. De first exposure to Denzel Washington. Wasn't Steve Gutenberg in St. Elsewhere, no, too? No, no, no. Howie Mandel was. He was like, that made him. Well, it definitely made it, but, but Denzel, that was a true breakthrough role for Denzel. Dr. Philip Chandler, was his character's name. Oh, crow, we just hit Pater here, baby. Sure we did. With this resin. Oh, I mean, and I love Tombstone. I remember this and Wyatt Earp came out the same year. Yeah, exactly. There was a weird kind of, because of Unforgiven, there was definitely like the Western made comeback for like you know 1995. Funny? Currently, now in Hollywood, you can't get a Western made because it's so expensive. That makes sense. Like, they just won't... An American production company will not buy a Western. Because they're just... It's just a dead... It's a dead genre. They can't do anything with it. Uh, uh, Lately, they've been doing more stuff, but anytime there's a Western, it's always mixed in some sort of, like, alien bullshit. Cowboys and aliens. Yeah. It was preposterous. 
I mean, I tell you what, it's funny you mention that. I'm writing my script, you know. Mm-hmm. I did a bunch of editing today. Today was more of an editing day for me. I'm trying to pare down certain things because I want to make, I, I want to show and not tell. Sure, sorry. I want to show and not tell, you know, like through the acting or dialogue. And I have a tendency to over-describe it maybe, you know. Um, but I added a couple more scenes on it. But I mean, I have no illusions about it. It's a World War II movie, for crying out loud. Right. Gee, you think those aren't expensive? By the way. Hence the eight-minute rape. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I went back home. I went back to Chicago. Went back and visited family. Saw my father. How's your brother? Uh, brother's doing okay with his kids. It was great to see him. My, my father doing better than I expected because he's been uh, in poor health for many, many, many years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I saw my, my uh, relative, my Helen, Aunt Helen. She is the daughter of the woman who I'm writing the story about. She was telling me, you should write the Because I was telling her I was going to end the story with her meeting her father. You know, and like that, that being the end. And she's like, no, you should tell her whole story. And I was like, this is already ambitious enough. Do you have any hot aunts? Like, do you ever have an aunt where you're like, you know, we weren't related. I think everybody has a family member or a cousin where you're afraid to be like, dude, she's hot. That's a, that's a pretty, pretty woman. Yeah. God, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. I haven't thought about that in a long time. I think, yeah, there was. But here's Power. Power's Booth. He's still around, dude. I love no, no, Power's he, he's Booth. He's dead. He's dead now. He died. <gasps> you have one of these? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. This is Dr. Pimple Popper uses. You know what these are for? Well, those are for cigars for me. This is to, the real thing this is, this is to, it's a whole punch. It's to remove a cyst. So if you have a cyst yeah. under here, you, and it pulls yeah. out a little thing and you can squeeze it out. It's yeah. called a hole punch. Yeah. I believe that, man. Yeah. Here oh, we go. Yeah. Watch the beginning of Tombstone. But anyway, I went back, saw family. That that was the advice I got. And I'm like, listen, this is already ambitious enough what I'm trying to do uh-huh. for an amateur screenwriter. You know, I, I'm taking on a pretty large topic, you know. And bravely, I love how you say bravely, but like it's a topic that has to be good because there have been so many great World War II stories yeah, before yeah, this. Yeah, like exactly. saving fucking Private Ryan. Yeah, yeah. Like, exactly. when you come in with a World War II story, they're immediately going to be like, all right. Like, I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. What is it really? What you know is what I mean? this? And again, the, the, the story is, it is about a teenage, young 20s woman growing up and coming of age during Nazi Germany. Right. And just, she is a witness to history, a witness to events unfolding in front of her, and just her reaction. Also, she hated the Nazis. She was not a fan of the Nazis. People have to realize not all of Germany was on board. But the right. problem is they were all scared to be they, – they got – I mean, you were so petrified, they were going to kill you if you weren't, you know? So she was not uh, – You know what? And let me see how you agree with this because Alicia doesn't agree with it. I'm listening, buddy. There was this whole – you know the whole battle of whether the things at the borders are concentration camps? Yes, the discussion about that. Yeah. So there's this Jewish guy, and he's old, and a lot of old Jewish dudes are like – they lean right because they're all businessmen. Yeah. And he said – he goes, the reason I won't call them concentration camps is because those people that are in those camps have a choice to leave. No, they don't. That's what Alicia said, and no, I didn't don't. know that. So if one of those people was like, I want to go back to Mexico, they won't just let them go back to Mexico? What? Like if they just – if someone was like, hey, we want to leave, like we'll go back to Mexico. Yeah, you know, it, it, listen, here's the thing about this. Because that's basically what that Jewish guy said. He was yeah. like, they literally came to our house and rounded us up. Yeah. Like the U.S. government is not going into Mexico rounding up Mexicans. They're stop. They're stopping them at the border, and it's very inhumane, and it shouldn't happen. He was like, "But that's the difference. Is like, 
those people do have a choice. Yeah. They don't they don't have to go there. They could stay in Mexico. Uh, how about this? How about this? Uh, how about this? Here's where I think it's not necessarily totally off. How is their treatment at the camp? Mm-hmm. You know, yes. Is it the beginning of the death camps? Well, no, you don't know that. Because you know, so when the concentration camps first started, they were just work camps, ultimately, you know? Yeah. They, they, well, they, when they, people kind of thought they, happening. and they were kind of a myth through the whole war, right? Oh, well, well I, I think a lot of people, I mean, my aunt, you know, she was saying that you heard about them, there were rumors of it, but you didn't, I mean, you never saw one. The, the village she lived in was a way station, a transfer point of people into concentration camps where she lived. And she noticed that when she was, they started off as work, as work camps, you know? Yeah. So in that sense, I don't know if it's totally off. Like, yes. Had they done murders? No. Have people died in their ca- captivity? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Are the conditions bad? I would agree. Yes, yeah, some bad. kids died from like the flu and shit. Of course. They probably get medical attention. And I, I don't think it's been just one, too, you know? But you know, you know what's interesting about this, Keith? I'm telling you, this is all part of the strategy of Trump. And it's not a bad idea. Uh, they're trying to divide the Jewish vote because the, the, Jewish vote's traditionally been democratic. Mm-hmm. They want to shave off some Jews because, and they're going to say we withdrew from that horrible Iranian nuclear deal. You know, they're going to play that angle. You know, so uh, th- th- this is this is all part of that. Man. I'm telling you, th- th- this will have, this will have more more of a life than people realize. You know? Yeah. That's part of their strategy because they don't have to do some desperate things to win. Look at that crow. I've done work. Oh, my Lord. We got resin, boys. Yeah. 33 minutes in. We're about to smoke, son. (laughs) I'm listening, man. So who do we got here? Let's set it up. We got Kurt Russell with a mustache. Sam Elliott with a mustache. Sam Elliott with a mustache, but his mustache. Just men with mustaches. A horse that they're probably going to kill brutally halfway through the movie. To make blue. Oh, he was about to punch that horse in the face. This dude was about to punch a horse, and Kurt Russell was not having it. Exactly. That's the moment where they they paint him, this is your hero. Yeah, exactly. He yes. wasn't even going to allow a horse to be abused. Yeah, exactly. But but he's also a tough man, you know, tough but just. Yeah. Which is ultimately, that's what women want. The marshal, now the marshal sees him, and he's about to assert his power. Well, he's also like, you know, who are you? Who are you, boy? A lot of oh, boys. That's Sylvester Stallone's brother on the left. There. Frank? It's Frank Stallone on the left. The Heat is on. What song did he sing? God, I can't remember. Not The Heat the is, is on. The Heat is on. Yeah. Um, Frank Stallone was in a Barfly. You ever seen Barfly? Mm-mm. It's basically loosely based on Charles Bukowski's life. Frank Stallone wrote one of the themes for a Rocky movie, right? There he is, right there on the left. That's Frank Stallone. Wow. And this is when he tried acting because he had a failed musical career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he's he's at like Rocky Three. He's actually in a sequence when they're training in the hotel in Rocky Three. You know, before the first fight when he gets destroyed, Frank Stallone's like singing with backup singers. You mean when he gets destroyed by by Mr. T? Well, no. What's the one? Doesn't he lose the wrestling match to Hulk Hogan? That's Rocky. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's Rocky Three. That was it was post wrestling match, pre first fight with a cover line. Yes. So. <laughs> yeah, and Mr. T beats the shit out of him. Oh, Mr. Dude, Mr. T was a phenomenon for about three or four years. He was, I mean, the eighteen, he was a phenomenon. Mr. T said it took him hours to put on that jewelry, like when they would do like setup, like because they it wasn't one piece. They put on every necklace individually, and he said he goes it took about two and a half hours to put on all that jewelry. How preposterous is that image, though, man? Come on, you it's know, too you, much. It, uh, it's, it's too it's much. Over the top. He's reaching. He also he he, he was he was raised in the Robert Taylor homes, man. 
I think I told the story in here before, but obviously with Eric Clark. Now, Robert Taylor Holmes are the ones that were by Comiskey Park, exactly. right? You probably remember seeing those as a kid. I they imagine. got demolished when they, they built the park. Well, well no, 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 or no. They were near it. No, I remember no. they shot at the stadium. Near, oh, go, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's okay, man. Yeah. Uh, I, they got rid of them because I worked at the city of Chicago's Department of Housing at that time. I was there right at the beginning when they started ripping down all the, the large-scale public housing projects. And that was the beginning, which was basically 01, 02, 03. They ripped, they ripped all those down. I mean, you about Cabrini Green. Robert Taylor stretched 50 fucking city blocks. Yeah, it was. It a, went from like 35th to like 85th. It was a town. It, it was huge. I remember going, going to White Sox games, sitting in the upper deck, drinking a beer, and there would be a fire. I, I'll never forget this. This is like the first second inning of the game. There's a fire that went unchecked the entire length of the game. That's pretty great. <laughs> the fire was just going on for like two and a half hours. It burned for like two units. And whenever I would go back there, I would look for that same unit, and you could just see like the black stains of flame, you know, just all on the wall of the uh, of of the um, of the. Wikipedia has it listed as a human settlement in Chicago, Illinois. Human settlement? What does that mean exactly? It was a public housing project in Bronzeville on the south side of Chicago, bordering along State Street between Pershing Road, 39th and 54th Street, alongside the Dan Ryan Expressway. It was was further south than 54th Street. It's part of the State Street corridor in which... Uh, which included other CHA housing projects, Stateway Gardens, Harold Ike's Homes, Dearborn Homes, and yep. Hilliard. Yeah, that all went down there. I actually worked – I didn't work on a lot of those. I worked on the Horner Homes on the west side of Chicago. I didn't do a lot of public housing stuff when I was at the city. I did some, but not all of it. Difficult process. Planned for 11,000 inhabitants, the Robert Taylor Homes housed up to 27,000 people. Yeah. So they were overpopulated. Well, so, some of them so were, but some of them weren't. So there got to be some problems over there. Yes. Like well, it, they had trash chutes that just would fill up the trash up to the 10th floor. It would just be trash. So it would be just the rat infestation was huge. You know, but a lot of them were, there's Frank Stallone right there. See, Frank Stallone and Val Kilmer get into a fight here. I love a good joint. This is the era of the joint. Absolutely. Take that out of my joint, kid. <laughs> Joint's a great name. I know a lot of hipsters who call things jerks. Like they, they talk, they have that like old school Archie they put on that fake. Like I was at the sandwich jerk the other day. Oh, God. So douchey. I don't get, like, are they trying to pick up an era like the 1890s or something? Is that sort of what the I think people the like the is? slacky, like I think people like... It's kind of hip to to have that. Well, and it's hard for me to even define because I do get what you're saying. Like people, they embrace the idioms of those times, but not the politics. Like, hey, dig it, man. I'm hip. Yeah. But like everything else about that era is not cool. So I think (laughs) I think it's people's clinging of like we're going to pick the things from eras that we thought is hip. Yeah. And take out all of the weird political extract, stuff. Extract it out. So, like, people, like, Archie Bunker is a racist, but we like that he said jerks, and, like, he had that weird Brooklyn, like, yeah. that Queens accent. Yeah, yeah, no, I hear what yeah. you're saying. Absolutely. I, I think there's, here's something that always confuses me, too, with the modern history. If rub, come rub my feet, huh? What's that was like a like he was always saying huh after everything. Yeah. <laughs> Edith, get out of my chair, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I I think he's one of the most memorable characters. He's there. Days, people but... say that uh, he's like our our Eric Cartman from South Park is our Archie Bunker. Interesting. Of like this likable curmudgeon who like yes, on its 
bare like you break down the bare bones of what the character is. He's not a good guy. Yeah, yeah. but he is a good guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh no, Archie Bunker. My father was a huge fan of All in the Family. Huge fan. But, but I was on a point. I was on a tangent about. Um, uh, oh yeah, the whole idea of the hipster. It's the idea of like I mentioned this before. It seems like when I was young, when I was in my twenties. You dress like it was the 70s, because it was like you were a child in the 70s, and coming of a, being a child at that time, and how kind of weird that that decade was, there's a lot of reflection on that, a lot of mm-hmm. uh, romanticizing it, but I certainly did. My entire act, the first several years of comedy, 80s. was talking about the 70s, all of it. But it was one decade. It was one decade. I feel like now it's like, you, you take like three or four dimensions of like, you're going to have the glasses of the late 80s, you're going to have a loud sweater from the late 70s, you're going to have a pompadour of the 50s, and that's going to be kind of your look. You know, it's, it's slapped together to me. So I, I guess it's just different. I mean, I, I don't want to totally judge it and say it's all bad, but I'm just saying that's a little bit, I don't know, it's just different to me, you know? The whole thing too, I find, is that Everything is about your individual brand. I mentioned this before, maybe the last show or two. Mm-hmm. I watched the Women's World Cup team with the team when they came yeah. back and got the ESPYs. Four they, stars, baby. They panned across. They panned across the, the you know, all the women, you know. But every single one of them, their fashion sensibility was its own individual thing. And now it's become like your own brand. Like you are making your brand. Mm-hmm. So to me, it just ties into consumerism, book, line, and sinker. And I don't like that. This reminded like me it. of it last episode. I was telling you about how Alicia is reading a book about AIDS. This is the book. How to Survive a Plague, the inside story of how citizens oh. and science tamed AIDS. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, that, 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 that's just be a pretty good book. You know, I cannot tell you what a fucking big deal it was when that disease hit. That, and you know what's been making the rounds, too? I wish it was on right now. We're watching Tombstone. Fatal Attraction has been making the rounds. Fatal yeah. Attraction has been making the rounds. So... And they're doing yard work out here. Right? Yeah. So I, I, I remember seeing Fatal Attraction in the theater, Keith. Oh, 2012. Oh, yeah, Boiling Rabbits and shit. Yeah, exactly. I was 18 years... I saw it with my mom. That's a big reference when I was a kid. My dad would... Anytime there was a crazy woman, he would be like, oh, she's going to boil a rabbit. Really? Yeah. That was a big reference. Glenn Close's character was a big reference when I was a kid. Like, the adults loved that fucking movie. I didn't... I went and looked up on Wikipedia... That was the highest grossing movie in the world in 1987. Oh, shit. It made like $350 million. I, I, I didn't realize it. I, didn't, I knew it was a big movie, but I didn't realize just how big it was. When I watch it, having the experience of being stalked, she did a very good job of portraying a stalker. Her acting is really good in that. I mean, she really nails it. I'm not just or Daniel. I will not be. Ignored. Ignored. Yeah. <laughs> but just the look in her eye and stuff and her reactions... It reminded me a lot of my stalker. Like she did a very good job of capturing that. You know what else I think that I don't remember when it came out is uh, the remake of fucking uh, where Robert De Niro's got the tattoos where he captures Juliet Lewis. Cape Fear. Yeah. Saw the leader. That was a big movie, wasn't it? Pretty big. And I didn't know that was a, a remake. The Gre- I've heard the Gregory Peck one is actually more creepy. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know what else is in it is um, no, it's um. Uh, Robert Mitchum. Robert Mitchum's in the sequel or in the remake. Gregory Peck is the is the husband, right? I, I think Gregory Peck's the husband. And Mitchum is the crazy. And, me, and me, yeah, I think uh, Robert, yeah, I think he's a Mitchum is the is the crazy one. Whereas De Niro plays a crazy one. Yeah, I saw Kate Free in the theater with my first girlfriend, Amanda Rip. You know, that, it was a big movie. But Fatal Attraction, watching it now and seeing it, this is the truth, man. I took about AIDS. Like Fatal Attraction, truly to me, 
it was truly the end of the sexual revolution. AIDS was obviously, it was, you know, like being sexually promiscuous was kind of like, that's just kind of what it was. It was kind of cool. Yeah. You know, I mean, whatever. Having a lot of women now as a guy, I still did kind of a cool thing, but I mean, it was like. It's all, and, but there's so much safety into sex of like, wear two condoms, be on birth control, pull yes. out. Like. Exactly. You know, you got to do all three of those six things. times before yeah. you actually, was, back then it was like, people just, you like someone. See, that's actually kind of the prude in me is I don't, and even I kind of came up in an era, like I remember in high school being like, we're fucking too much. Yeah. Like, we're 15. We shouldn't be having sex. Yeah, to like be honest this. with you, and, and that's where I was a square, too, in that regard. Is I, I was kind of like, you know, if you're having sex too young, something's not right. There's you said you're damaged. Yeah, yeah, there's something. Now, I mean, I remember people having, when I was, this is Virginia, I lived in white trash, Stonewall Jackson Middle School. I remember like 13-year-olds having sex, and I don't think it was all a lie. People were fucking at 13, and I'm like, I'm sorry. You're just not, you're not emotionally right. You're being statutory raped. You know, I mean, it's just, it's not good. I was thinking about this on the way here, like, and this might be a tricky topic to get into, and I'm not saying I agree with any of this, but I think a lot of, like, you find out, like, I remember telling someone that I went to middle school with this girl in sixth grade. I remember she came, she was bragging about getting fingered over the summer. Yeah. And we were in sixth grade. She was 12 years old. Wow. And she had gotten fingered by a... Billy Bob Thornton. Yeah. She got fingered by a, a 18-year-old. Oh, yeah. By yeah. a guy that was like... I was out of high school. Yeah, yeah. But here's the thing. She was pumped about it. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. It made her popular. Oh, yeah. That this I'm had sure. her. I'm sure. And I still think if you came to her today, like, she wouldn't say that she was raped. But now, you yeah. if you tell that story, you'd be like, your friend was raped. Yeah. And you'd be like, well, I mean... Certainly sexually assaulted. Sure. Yeah. But at the time, like, and that's where it gets tricky because that's when you have to start defining what rape is because at the time, she was bragging about it. Like, oh, I know. she was happy that this happened. Uh, it was very common when I was in junior high school, younger women like that, 7th to 8th graders, would like have sex with guys like juniors and seniors yeah. in high school. And it was like... It was like a notch on yeah, your Yeah, it was a rite of passage. Like, ooh, you got kind of an older man. And also... You know, the guys are like, you know, whatever, they're getting laid for the first time, so they're immature. Yeah. But my point is, fatal attraction, back to that fatal attraction, that truly was the end of the sexual revolution, because it was like, you know, it's a random hookup that they have, and he ends up getting stalked by her, mm-hmm. and it's a very, it's, it's a very well-made movie. It's well-edited, there's a quality acting, it's just a good movie. Yeah. But, but, but it's like, I mean, if you, uh, I mean, that truly ended it. The idea, like, like that, just the hookup sex and stuff, which obviously still happens, but it was not deemed a cool thing, like, I'm telling you. It was still deemed kind of cool in the early 80s. After that movie, I'm, I'm convinced that had an impact on things. Yeah. Because it was well, that big of a movie. And even now, hooking up is so – it's predicated on so much of like – even if you're hooking up with a random person. Bill, you, you, Billy Bob Thornton. There you go. Heavy Billy Bob. 25 pounds heavier Billy Bob Thornton. You've <laughs> probably like in this era, even if you're hooking up with a stranger, you've probably chatted with them online for a few hours. Oh, like or a few days or weeks. You sent a pic or two. You've probably seen, sent a dick pic or a pussy pic. Like, I could never send a dick. Neither pic. could I. It's too embarrassing to me. I could just not do. But that. I feel like it's it preposterous. I feel like in that. the '80s and when you grew up, the idea of literally seeing someone at a bar and going, "I'm going to go have sex with her," 
Oh, like that the, was a the, thing. That was the expectation. Like, like you were astonished. I'm gonna go try and that. fuck this girl. Yeah, and yeah. Whereas the big threshold was basically getting her number. Like the movie Swingers, like getting her phone number, was a big threshold. Like in my twenties and in my teens and stuff, it was like you got her number to call her up and they have a date. Like that, that, that just the number does also, that still exist. Uh, I get a number on a cell phone. Well, and here's the thing. But even getting the number, there's a lot of predications on society now. Because you have to like tiptoe around everything. Because back in the '90s and '80s, if you got a phone number, you were calling them. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, but you had to do it in the right period of time. You right. Be too desperate. Here's what it is yeah. now: if you get a phone number, it's text only, and it's and then how often are you texting? Oh. And not being too needy and not saying just, yeah. saying hello, but don't worry if she texts you back. Like, yeah, yeah. There or are some guys. Three days later, it's fine. There are some guys who are like, "Hey, what's going on? You haven't responded." Like getting being needy Ooh. is a big fucking deal. Uh, that is a fundamental thing. This, if any man is listening to this right now, younger guy, you can never any person, man or woman, don't be needy. And, and that's been a theme since I, I mean, I was, that's the same as when I was young. It's yeah. the same. It's the same. You couldn't be needy then. You can't be needy now, yeah. particularly as a guy. It is a absolute turnoff to any woman, you know? Yeah. They cannot stand it. They want you to be, they want you, again, it is the strong, silent type. And that's never going to go away. I'm strong. I'm not silent. I don't know yeah. if you realize that. No. <laughs> and the concept of calling someone on the phone now is so personal. Like, I've been dating my girlfriend for two years. And we've talked on the phone like 10 times. That's fucking amazing. Because that, that, that used to be the way, like, I remember when I my very first girlfriend, we'd call up on the phone, we, we'd chat a lot. That was sort of what you did. You look at that, and like, look at Boys in the Hood, but they're always like, on the phone, girl, what are you yeah. doing? I'll get my nails done, and you talk. You know? No, it's all text. I love Drew Michael's bit from his first album where he says, calling a girl is the new climbing through her window. We're like, it's that personal. Where like he's seen if you like if you if you're ever with a woman and a strange man calls her, their reaction is like like repulsion or what something. What the fuck? Like, like that's the punchline to his bit. Like I mean, I gave him my phone number, but not to call me. Wow. Yeah, well, thank you. I just learned something. Yeah. I, honest to God, because I I would think if they give you you're right about texting, that makes sense. But I think if they give you it's texting. Or calling. It's one of the two. Calling but they're I not remember, 50-50. It's like 90-10. I remember you know? when I. Uh, one of the few times I actually saw a girl and was like, I'm going to go get her phone number. I worked at Philly's Best, the sandwich shop, and it was this girl. She worked two doors down at the bowl at the smoke shop. Yeah. And she would come in and she was just this really – and I think what was I was attracted to her is she definitely had a vibe of like, oh, this girl has fun. Like yeah. She's probably a little promiscuous, probably would like – Yeah. And I remember being like, dude, I got a crush on this girl. And I remember finally working up the courage. I went in to pretend like I was going to buy a bowl and I just asked her out. Like, do you really? want to go out sometime? And she gave me her phone number. But as she was giving it to me, she goes, here's my phone number, but don't call me. I hate when people call me on the phone. Wow. Now, she didn't answer my texts anyway. And that's where I think is different is I think women will give a phone number now just to get a guy out of her hair. Oh. Uh -huh. Like, I'll give him my phone number, and then I just won't respond to him when he calls. Which, back in the 80s, since phones were locked into your house, yeah, yeah. you couldn't, like, put it on silent or, like, vibrate. Like, yeah, if, you, yeah, if you give a guy your out, phone number, out, he's yeah. going to be calling your mother's house. Yeah, yeah. For, like, so it's literally too personal to do that. Yeah. See, I get what you're saying. Like, I think it makes – there's a logic to it, absolutely. But to me, there's something that's very um, – I mean – that intimacy is kind of what you're looking for. You want that sort of call, but you know, it's, I tell you, it's changed business-wise, dude. 
it's changed. When I, I think of early in my career, I was on the phone. I used to take a little a mark, a little hash mark, whenever I get a call, just see how many calls I got during the day, to see how often I was interrupted. This is when you're younger. Yeah, when I worked at the city, probably 15, 17, 18. When calling years ago. on the phone was still that a was time. part of the business climate. I would get as many as 27 calls a day. That's a lot, you know, of you know, and to deal with issues. Email has taken that over. I might get. I've looked it up in my six months of my job. I've had 125 calls. So th th that's basically 20 a month. That's about one call a day. That's one call a day. Maybe I might get two. Yeah. That's it. And it's the rest all is emails. like you're getting it's hundreds all emails. of emails. I, I, I chains. Get, yes. Long email yeah, chains. Absolutely. I got to go back and review it and look at it and see, okay, who said what to what to kind of figure out the story as to how they're eight pages of emails. I mean, I get, when I came back from my vacation. Oh, we got our damsel. I got, We've uh, been introduced yeah. to our damsel. Billy, and, and, and her name is Billy Zane. No, but it was. There she is. It was. Uh, 300, 326 emails I had when I came back, you know, and so it took me three days to dig through it. Like, it, and when I got through them, it was like an accomplishment. And I had to work. It took hours of And work. the thing about sifting through emails is so many of them, you're like, I don't have to fucking read this. Well, yeah, some of it I don't. I mean, yeah. but there's stuff in there. It's like everyone, you have to go through all of them because you got to separate the wheat from the shaft, you know? So it's like, and I'd say 15 to 20% actually matter. I'm like, okay, I got to respond. You know? you know what I find funny about these Western movies is I feel like the actual accounts of that time are so unheard of that, like, they really had to fight to build a story around this. Because essentially the plot to this movie is the Battle of the OK Corral. Yes. Yeah. But no one really knows what preceded that. Well, here's what's hilarious. There's no written record. Uh, absolutely. Well, it's all, it's all part of myth. It's almost like Trojan it's the mystery. Myth. Exactly. Like, did it even happen? That's America. Like, was, that's why it's appealing. It's like, part of the mythology. Was Wyatt Earp even a real person? He was, but what's interesting about it, he killed one person. Like, it wasn't like he killed 15 people. He was, was just real... on the land. He killed one guy. Well, he, killed, well, he, he was a lawman that killed the guy in a gunfight, I think, in Dodge City. But there was a Doc Holliday. Doc Holliday, who, who Bal Kilmer plays in this, is deemed to be this, like, bloodlusting murderer who happens to be friends with Wyatt Earp. Yeah. And he, he, he's basically a criminal that's friends with Wyatt Earp, but he backs him, so he, he trusts him. Kind of like you know, what, what, what Trump does. If you back me, I don't give a shit if you do have nuclear weapons. Hey, if you like me, I like you. It's how it works. You know, it's like... So it... Um, but, but but I guess Doc Holliday killed one person. <laughs> this is also back when the bank robbery was like peak crime. Well, like like the 19th century. The mean? heist was yeah. huge yeah, in this then. time. Yeah. Now but, you got to be eating people's intestines and like fucking smoking meth. You really got to dig in to get yeah. to get not noticed as a fucking <laughs> as a criminal. Yeah. Or the heist. Do you think the heist back then? I mean, like, who like? I mean, does the heist it still exists? Yeah, but it's deep. It's like insurance fraud and like online shit. Like no one's yeah. no one's going into a store rolling, with a rolling pistol. over a, a bank or yeah. rolling over a train. You or out of your mind. The security guard will put a bullet in your fucking head immediately. Tell you what, it's funny. I've been here now over six months now in LA. We, we've talked about this before. When I lived here before, there was a Philly Zane's wearing makeup. And there's Jason Priestley. I'm going to make my break into movies from Beverly Hills 90120. 90210. Yeah. <laughs> I remember. He's a gay character. He plays a gay character in this. Yeah. His character's gay. Oh, yeah. My my stepdad had this movie on VHS. I remember this was a two-taped VHS. Well, it's a, yeah, it's a two and a half. It's a long movie. It's a long yeah. movie. I remember the double cassette. That was always a big deal when you got the double cassette. <laughs> 
Titanic but like, was a double cassette. Godfather. Yes. Yes. You know what I didn't realize is I was alive when Godfather Three came out, and I don't I don't remember it it's coming a out. It's horrific movie. Yeah. It was nominated for the Oscar just because it was Godfather. Because it was Godfather. It's not a good movie. It's not. A good There's movie. There's incest in it too, right? I don't recall. Uh, no. It's the Catholic Church, though, that's, that's involved in the intrigue of it all, is the Catholic Church. So there's, like, murder in the Catholic... Like, a cardinal gets killed in it. You yeah, know I mean? and it's Al Pacino like, has to rejoin the family, right? Well, he's been trying, he's been trying to get out, and he can't like get... Pull me back in. I know. <laughs> but I thought, like, when I was... I remember being 12 or 13, thinking that all the Godfathers happened in the 70s. Like, I didn't know they were spaced out. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, there was that, a 15 year. Like, yeah. I, yeah. But Godfather 3 is so bad. I think Godfather 2 is the best one. Uh, uh, you don't think it's because it is. It's, a, it's not. It's one of the greatest movies ever. Yeah, it's, it's certainly it's truly the, a cinematic it's the only sequel to ever win an Academy Award. That makes sense. In 74, The Conversation was also nominated, which was a Coppola movie. Then it was also Chinatown. Have you ever seen Chinatown? No. Chinatown. Honestly, dude, to take the time to watch Chinatown is a. Especially now you've been in LA for a year, it is such a fucking good movie. It's Polanski's High Water Mark. It's a great movie. Is this pre rape or post rape? No, this, this is pre. Because he did it at Nicholson's house, I think, the rape thing. I, mean, I feel like that's the new benchmark. Like, you can listen to, you can listen to Jackson 5 because he wasn't raping kids as a kid. Because he was a kid. He was a kid. That's the safe era. That's pre, the standard now. Pre-Biling or whatever the fuck her name is, Woody Allen is fine. Ooh, I remember that being a big deal when that happened in the 90s. And that's what got me thinking of it, Crocious, of here's what my – Yeah. The phrase, it was a, it was just the times back then is such a despicable thing to say now. Like I was, I was arguing with Alicia about Louis C.K. about how like, you know, after Jeffrey Epstein, can we finally forgive Louis – like, yeah, yeah, is he yeah. finally off the hook yeah. now that a third of our government is our legit pedophiles? <laughs> Can we, like, is it is it now safe to say that whipping your dick out and asking someone if you could jerk off in front of them is not that big a deal anymore? And it's also, like, even beyond that, it's still a big deal, but you can still forgive people. Forgiveness is the key thing. You have to learn forgiveness. And I'm not in some Christian sense. For myself, when I was able to forgive my family for certain things, I felt like they had slights they had done to me, it, it made all the difference in the world. Yeah. I saw them in a much more realistic light. They didn't have nearly the level of power over me as they used to have. I also kind of respected them more, and I, I appreciated yeah. them in a sense. I'm like, hey, they're just people trying to make it through like anyone else. So you got to be able to forgive people. Something. Now, granted, what he did, it's wrong. I, yeah. know, I know there are two women he did it to. Well, yeah, and it's like, you know? yeah, and it's like how... But, like, back to the Woody Allen thing, like, people are all about that canceling was... Woody Allen now, which is fine. Like, I I don't think it's cool that he's banging his, his stepdaughter. Yeah. It's uh, kind of a weird story. It is. But man. And, like, people are even questioning now because my whole defense is not even defensive Woody Allen, but the whole thing is, like, isn't – hasn't she defended the situation before of saying, like – Oh, his wife? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think – I'm sure she, she must have. That, and that was like 20-some-odd years but ago. But then now. even now, when you bring that up, people are like, yeah, but she's never – if you actually read between the lines of her interview, she's never actually said that this is okay. She kind of just lightly defends it. Like a lot of people kind of think she's brainwashed. That like it's Stockholm Syndrome. Of course she's going to say it's okay. But my whole point is this. Like 
why weren't you outraged when it happened? Oh, uh, the, like, there was definitely... Why aren't people canceling every actor that's been in a Woody Allen movie since He still happened? gets all the great actors that go into his movies. Kate like, why is it just him? Why aren't we canceling everybody that's been involved? Like, he was, he's been married to her for 20 years. Yeah, you, you went over that. And you, you want to know why? And it's interesting. And this is, it's, you raise a totally good point. I think, when I look at it, is that he just basically has, uh, you know, people forget. The news cycle now is such a shit show. That's why Trump's presidency can get away with so much stuff. He just throws so much against the wall. Let's see what well, that happens. That was a great point someone made about all the mass shootings that happened. They go, we haven't, Dan, Dan, or uh, Sam Morrill said, we have an endless news cycle, and it's still not enough to cover all the mass shootings that happen. Why no? Like, there's too many shootings for a literal 24-hour news cycle yeah, to cover. Of course. Of course. You know, I mean, it, it is, you know, and so it's, my point is that people forget. So people have forgotten about that with Woody Allen. If you go back in his past, I mean, I don't, when that went out, I was thinking to myself, holy shit, I was like, I was actually on Mia Farrow's side because I thought it was kind of strange that he kind of isolated this girl that they had adopted from a very young age. I mean, like, 9, 10, 11 years old. Yeah. Kind of isolate the story that I've heard. I don't know this. Now, did he wait till she was of age before yes, they actually met yes. her? Yes, Oh, absolutely. Before they See, actually and that's the yeah. question, too, is a lot of people think, and I think it, there's evidence that has come out, and I even think she has had let it slip that – they did have sex before she was 18. Oh. I that, like, I that. think she said that they were banging when she was, like, 15, 16. Well, have you ever seen Manhattan? Yes. Which is his best movie, I think. It's a movie after Manhattan. Isn't Manhattan Alan is Alda in Manhattan? No, Manhattan is, uh, is uh, Diane Keaton. Margot Hemingway is in it. She plays, she's a high school student who's Woody Allen's character's girlfriend. And he's, like, 48, 49 years old in that. And she's like 17. 18, well, the, I mean, the Louis C.K. You know? movie that never came so out. So obviously, there's, there was, he, he knew what he liked. Yes. You know, it was being projected. Uh, but that's that's what made me think of, like, they're really, that whole phrase, like, it was just the times. That's real. Like, now it's kind of villainized to, to dismiss it as just like, oh, it was I'm not saying times. it was right or wrong. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm just saying that that's kind of what but it was. back I mean, then, you know, dating an 18-year-old was not that big of a deal. Here's and actually, kind of a feather in your cap. Oh, yeah. You were like, you could score someone young. You remember know? when, remember Shoshona, Jerry Seinfeld's yes, girlfriend? Yes, absolutely. Who legit was 17. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and he was in his 40s. You know, I mean, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, it is, you know, it's funny because I think what with Epstein, going back to that. Who's dead, funny, by the way. Yeah. He's dead. He, he was murdered. But, but but I think that I think that uh, well, we have no way of proving that. We will see what happens as the story yeah. unfolds. We don't know. It's exciting to think that. Yeah. But now I should quickly happens. get it out of the way. I don't think the Clintons did it. I think this is higher level the Illuminati shit. shit. This is high, well because there's the Clinton kill list. I don't know if you know about this. That's a, that, that's such a I dismiss now it. now I do too. But an odd amount of people that have slighted the Clintons. Have ended up dead. Now it's all been car accidents and, and robberies you know, and, and stuff. Vince Foster like, killing himself. But it's easy when you look at the list and it's over like a it is over a long period of time. It's easy to deduce that like it's very coincidental that a lot that a lot of your enemies end up dead. Do you, yeah. you, you think Trump is going to try to spin it that right. way? Of course he's going to try to spin he, it that I way. I think he legitimately tweeted that something about the Clintons maybe doing it. But, yeah, but my whole point is it's higher – it's bigger than any political family. This is like Rothschild level 
when you're getting into a guy that was running a pedophile ring where he yeah. was selling children to senators, you're dealing in a level of power that is unknowable. And that's bigger than Hillary fucking Clinton. <laughs> like, the people that got alleged, maybe, whatever, got Epstein to hang, even if there was someone in that cell being like, here's what you're going to do. Yeah. You're going to take that sheet and you're going to hang yourself. Or we're going to do this, this, and this. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, it, it could have even been that. Oh, yeah. Someone. Well, again, the, 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 Dwayne Kennedy had, had yeah. the joke about the Godfather 2. Like, Tom Hagen went and spoke with him and said, okay, here are your options. To kill yourself. I your even think, I was thinking of. about this at work the other day. It could be as deep as this. 20 years ago, one a very powerful person took a guy off the street and said, here's what's going to happen. We're going to send you to prison. And the guy goes, what? And he goes, no, 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 no. We're going to take care of your family. They're going to live where you're going to be very well taken care of. Yeah. But you live in prison. Here's what your job is. Whenever we say one day we're going to want you to put this in some guy's drink. Yeah. And like you're our cleaner. Yeah. For when like a senator goes to jail and we need to silence him. Yeah. You're going to be our guy. Yeah. Now, if you don't want to do this. There's a guy sitting right behind you who's going to put a bullet in your brain when you yeah. walk away from this table. Yeah. Like, I think shit like that happens. Yeah, I mean, I tell you what, I definitely think that there is uh, – So I think well, that people was – people get off in prison all the yeah. time. And hits happen all the time, you know, so – But there's too much, like, know, they've asked – a lot of things, low-level, so, like, you know – Because the first question was if he was on suicide watch, why did he even have sheets to hang himself? Because when you're on suicide watch, they remove all yeah. that shit from yeah. your room. Yeah. And, then it, and, and then it came out. They took him off suicide watch 24 hours. Why are you taking someone off? He literally just tried to kill himself. Yeah. Like a week ago. How did he kill himself? He well, hung himself. Hung himself? Uh, and what a bad death. Yeah. I, I got a friend whose sister hung herself. That's the way to do it now. You know, not, not, it's not shooting yourself in the head. No. It's everyone's been hanging themselves. That's how Brody did it. Well, yeah, what's, that's how Robin Williams did it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, what, do you, what is the trend in suicide, Keith? What do you think, man? It's hanging. It's hanging or but pills. But why? why that, you see, pills to me, to me, to me, if you're going to kill yourself, you've truly got to go out with a bang. I say jump off a building it's or blow your brains out. Those are the two or dramatic like ways. Or like put a fucking stick of dynamite in your pocket or something. Like, you, you, know, you know Gigi Allen, right? Is that how he did it? Gigi Allen, well, he died of a drug, a heroin overdose, like east side, lower east side. But I guess what he wanted to do, he wanted to put a stick of dynamite up his ass and let his blow himself stage, on stage. Right? He wanted to blow himself up on stage. Put it in your mouth. He put it in your ass. It yeah, might not quite off. work well Yeah, enough. you could just I mean, blow you're going to die, but you're going to just blow your legs off, and then your torso is still going to be flailing around. Put it in your mouth and you will die instantly. I love that because you know? he proclaimed that years. I remember he said, like, at this date, I'm going to kill myself on stage. Oh, yeah. So I remember that year. He, I mean, there was a hesitancy. He punk rock. They said there was a hesitancy at his concerts that, like, people were kind of always waiting for him. Well, another thing. I know someone who saw him in concert, and he was so punk rock. Like, he'd shit on stage all the time. People would come up on stage, and he'd be rubbing his shit in their face. Like, they'd be trying to get up on stage. It's like, well, at that, his funeral, that, that's pretty punk rock. At his funeral, know? they didn't embalm his corpse. Like, they literally put his rotting corpse in a fucking casket, because that's God. how he wanted it. God. I mean, seriously. People take vacations to, like, urinate on his grave. I mean, seriously. Well, what's going on in your brain? I mean, listen, listen. I get self-destruction. We're all doing it on some level, drinking a little alcohol, getting... 
But come on, were you really embracing the self-destruction like that? It's interesting. Sid Vicious to me is my first exposure to that. When I think of the movie Sid, have you seen Sid and Nancy? No, you keep telling me you gotta you know, watch you it. You should see that. Sid and Nancy in Chinatown are the two movies I need to yeah, watch. Yeah, you should see because Sid and Nancy, it's one of Oldman's first movies, and he plays Sid Vicious. Yeah. And it does a very good job, I think, of just, just truly showing just the self destructive, nihilistic sort of, like literally living a punk rock lifestyle of that. And that era, I'm telling you, the late 70s, by the way, there's an element of now that has that feel to it. Yeah. As Resident Bowl came through, it's lasted the whole episode. So Kurt Russell's finally fucking around with our damsel. Who is this? Is this Kim Cattrall or something like that? No, it's uh, Kim Delaney. I knew it was a Kim. Kim's a good name. It's a good name. I like it's a good name for a It's a nice, dateable name. I like it. Like a Kim is your... You, 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 you marry a Kim. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 I agree. She, she, she's like a, she's a she's kind of a good girl, but she's fun, you know. She's, like I feel like she's when, sweet, but she's when you good. go flirt with a girl and she's like, "Hi, I'm Kim," you're like, "Oh, this is gonna be tough." Exactly. Oh no, no, I, I feel like oh, this, this excites me. This Ooh, could be something. Who's a Kim? Yeah. Kim's a good name. Deborah. Deborah's a little square. Her name was Deborah. Yeah. Deborah. I remember one time my dad dated a girl named Roxanne, and I was like, "This is not gonna last." <laughs> You just knew? You don't just fucking date a Roxanne. <laughs> not after a divorce. Good for him. I remember he would bring us to our house. And at the time, I would just be like, oh, they're hanging out. But they were fucking. They were? Like my dad, because they would never be there. They would go away in another room. Like I remember, like that's, because my dad had weekend time. So he took us everywhere. Yeah. Like he had us on Saturday, like Friday night, Saturday and Sunday. So whatever he did that weekend, we went with. So, I remember legitimately this was my childhood. My dad wanting to go to a bar at one in the morning and going, big guy, let's go. He would wake me up out of bed. How old were you? Eight. Between the ages of five to nine. Man. We're like, and here's where it would get fucked up. My grandma was there. So my grandma had to watch him wake me up and literally take me to a bar at one in the morning. And I remember they would argue. He'd be like, Steve, she'd be like, Steve, no. Like, you're not doing this. And I remember just so there wasn't an argument. And this kind of how is how my personality developed and how I got into drugs and kind of embracing that side is I remember I would tell them it was okay just so there wouldn't be an argument. Like, yeah. I remember literally at the age of eight being like, Grandma, it's fine. Like, I'm <sighs> just going to go to the bar with them. It'll be fine. Like, please just stop yelling. Like, this is Ooh, all, all going to be that's okay. That's sad. But it makes sense at, the, at that age. So that, that's I, a kid response. And that that's how I okay. developed a little bit of my humor, too, because I and Dave Chappelle always said this, like, I was the tension breaker yes. in my house. Uh, I, well, th th that was my role, absolutely, too. There's to no where, doubt about it. Like, it was always just Meanwhile, like, Meanwhile, I was completely tense myself, too. Yeah. Oh, because <laughs> you're just completely absorbing. You're essentially like a, a fucking... A sponge. Yeah, where yeah. you're just like, let me take everything. Guys, calm down. Yeah. I'll take it all in. I'll go to the bar with him, and I'll I'll fucking fuck my life up. Yeah, uh, it's okay. Like yeah. this is it's okay. Oh God, I'll be alive tomorrow. Yeah, I, I think I told you. I told the story. Uh, that that's a fucking crazy story, dude. It's, it's but it's real. It's real, absolutely. But I but I also in another sense, 
really enjoyed going to those places. Why? <laughs> like they taught me how to play pool. I got to cuss. Like we watched sports. I remember my dad would go to this dude's house named Jeff Peck and they would do cocaine and they were like, he also had a band. So they would jam and they would let me play drums and shit. And, oh, like, yeah. and I learned how to play music, but they would also be doing cocaine in front of me. Yeah. But they weren't being necessarily good male like, no, figures and stuff. Absolutely either. not. Yeah, you, Calling you, you, my mom a whore, oh, like yeah. talking about how horrible women are. But for oh, some reason, God. I had the forethought to realize that, like, well, you guys are cocaine addicts that are living in a basement with your parents. But, so you. obviously what you think is not correct. Because Good like for you for realizing that, man. Seriously. Not looking at them as adults. And, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. why I almost – because it was like hanging out with my friends. I was just like, well, you guys are as immature as me. So like obviously, <laughs> obviously what you guys are saying I'm taking with a grain of salt. Yeah. So I knew very early on to like, don't take any of this serious. This is not how you live your life. Yeah. But it's fun. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Absolutely. a good time Absolutely. to fucking smoke a little pot when you're 12 and fucking play the bass guitar with and with a grown up. <laughs> yeah, I feel like, yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, I know with, I think about, I think I said before, my father, when I think of like my weekends, my, you know, my mom getting divorced, she was the first person to get divorced on her side of the family. That was a very big deal. Within five years, four other divorces happened. She broke the seal, you know? And then on my father's side, it was a very big deal. I mean, this was like, divorce in the 70s was like, it was a new social phenomenon. Yeah. Like women were not, were just, I'm not happy. Oh, it, like there was your, your, I feel like it tainted your family name. Like you were known. Oh yeah. Like, oh, they're the Smiths. She got divorced. But then when the floodgates opened, I mean, cause there were so many unhappy marriages out there that people wanted to get out of every, them, you know? everyone that got married in the fifties, just tooth bit their lip through an arduous 30 year my or grandparents marriage, my man. grandparents probably fucking hated each other yeah, and who they didn't sleep in the same rooms yeah. my grandparents slept in separate rooms i know people currently whose parents like people my age whose parents don't sleep in the same rooms yeah well, i think it's more common than people realize you know I'm just at, like teething your way through a shitty marriage because you or, have kids or something I mean, I mean, or, or just the idea of also maybe you want your own space too that's part of it you know but and if we want to fool around, we need to just fool around on each other's beds, you know? But I want to have my own space, too. But here's my memory. But having my father every other weekend, hanging out with him every other weekend. We lived, he lived on a farm. My mom, well, they bought a house uh, a, a house in, in town. Um, bought it for $38,000, sold it for $300,000 cash 28 years later. Housing is a good investment in the long run. It's the best investment you can make. The, so. uh, just a little side piece. I was at work the other day, and yeah. there was – Someone giving this lady horrendous financial advice. I walked past him and he was going, you know, these people with their diversified profiles, it's just, it's a, it's a rookie way to go about things. He was like, you don't want to do that. He goes, you don't diversify. He goes, what you do is you find that one company like a Google or an Apple and you put all your money into that. Those people made millions of dollars off very little investments. Well, and I was just, I wanted to be like, you are ruining this lady's life oh i know if she listens it takes to heart yeah absolutely like he's literally being like don't diversify sink all your eggs into one basket that's the way that's such an la fucking attitude yeah fuck it man sell liquidate your assets and put it on fucking red that, that, that is well if you look at the history of the state i mean from the, the early days the gamblers moved to this state where the oregon trail split you went north. You were, it was a little bit more like conservative. See, minded. now we're getting back Yourself. into Tombstone. Exactly. That's when the time was. Coming full circle. Tombstone, Arizona. 
Uh, second largest city west of the Mississippi behind San Francisco at this time. Oh, you dude, know, I read this fucking, I read this book about the 1906 San Francisco earthquake, and the eight, late 1800s San Francisco was such a fucking cesspool of fucking people coming, like, just illegal citizenship. Yeah. People knew because of the gold rush that there was fucking money everywhere and yeah. just no fucking law. Yeah. Like, people would literally sail boats into the fucking pier and just live there. Like a lot oh, of the, yeah. a lot of the early houses in San Francisco were, just were ships yeah. that yeah. were just docked into the thing, and they would literally just run aground, I believe open it. up a fucking prostitution ring, and, just and fucking live your life. Like it was very much tombstone and the yeah, shit. It was, it was like the wild west. Firing a gun, yeah, and like it, they had the first Chinatown because people would come, and they uh, the yeah. paper person was invented because so check this out when the San Francisco earthquake happened, everybody's documentation was on paper yeah. and the town hall burnt down. Yeah, it was the fire that was worse than the earthquake. So yeah. literally all the Chinese citizens contacted their relatives from fucking China and they were like, hey, come over now because there's no way for them. The if timing if they right. question yeah. you, like all the papers burned, like there's yeah. no way for them to match it. Just say you're my fucking brother. And we'll get a job it, somewhere and it, do something. Yeah. Dude, the overpopulation, a mass immigration of Chinese people came after the 1906 San Francisco earthquake and it really started a wave of just rampant racism against Chinese people oh, sure. when they were rebuilding the city. But after the earthquake, they kind of had to restructure the city and that's when they started implementing a little law and like building yeah. state parks and yeah. legitimizing the town a little bit. But before that, it was such a gross place to live. Yeah. No, I believe that. Well, I think about that was the Chicago fire in 1871. I mean, you know, they were saying when the Chicago fire happened, that, that's deemed one of the top 10 disasters. Along with this 1906 earthquake of San Francisco, that's the one of the biggest disasters, September 11th. Like, true huge disasters. In Chicago, when that happened... The 68 riots? No, no, the, the 1871 okay. Chicago fire, fire. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were saying, like, the, uh, the, uh, you know, the Queen of England wanted to donate all of these books to the city of Chicago, like thousands of books. But they were like, we, we just don't have a library. Like, they never had a library from 1837 to 1871. They didn't have a library. It went from 2,000 people to 600,000. People That's probably massive so growth. stupid. Oh, oh, just rubes. Just you know? borderline retardation. Just what the hell? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and then prone to fucking the racism. Sick, that and just them. sickly. Probably just people walking around sneezing on people. Yeah, yeah, spreading yeah. Disease. Oh, God, yeah, coughing up like a oh. lung. But, but the point is, when that happened, they rebooted the city. It's why they have a very good fire department now. They made uh, the alleys. That's when they built large. the grid and shit. When did yeah. when did the whole you know the book that you could buy the plan of Chicago? Oh Was that yeah. Free fire. Yeah, yeah. I haven't read. I the, never read whatever that. that. Whatever his uh, what's the dude's name? Burnham. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. He's the one who built Chicago. Yeah. And that's an intricate book. Like he planned the fucking drainage systems. Oh yeah. The grid system, like. It's a wonderfully planned city. Well, well, I mean, flawlessly built city. They, uh, but, and, and the that's they said the eighteen seventy one fire, which kind of makes sense. If you think about it, you know, made one third of the city homeless. They were a wood city. They became a brick city. That was a major pivot point. Where it's like brick is not going to burn to the extent yeah. that wood is going to burn. You know, the state of Wisconsin was basically ripped down to build Chicago. You know, all the lumber barons was funneled because it was a fast growing city. You know, so. But anyway, dude, I tell you what, we probably have to wrap this up. Yeah, we're, we're at an hour place. twenty. Yeah, uh, Kurt Russell has a gun to someone's head. Uh, well, you know, Val Kilmer's coming. Guy from Wings is a bad guy. Oh yeah, Val Kilmer. What are you gonna do there? Wings is such a great show. 
but yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, follow us on the social medias. I'll have all the links up. Uh, yeah, man. See cool. ya. Yep.